Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Video games. Yeah, how many of you play video games? Yeah, Eh, not a lot, but a few. I remember the first video game. Anybody remember what the first one was? Pong! Pong! Not Donkey Kong, Pong! I mean, that was... I mean, you sat around and you had the little the little uh, dials and 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 the little speck went back and forth on the screen and you moved to make sure that you could hit it back and and if you worked real well you could sometimes put a little English on it at least you thought you could uh, and uh, and and pretty soon because of the, the the screens that were used and the repetition of the uh, you you started seeing etchings on your screen even when you turned it off I mean it was pretty it was pretty primitive. But that was just the start. Oh, man, they have made incredible uh, uh, strides in video games uh, uh, since, the, since the early days of Pong. And even when it comes to, you know, Pong is basically short for ping pong. That's right. And uh, the, 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 the ping pong games have, have really come a long way. Uh, there's, there's, I mean, there's several gaming systems out there, but, uh, but one is called Wii. Okay, we have some fans. And uh, it is a computer game, but just, you, and, 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 and I guess you, you, have an, you can play against an opponent or you can just play against the computer, but you, you stand there and you actually you have, a, you have a, a, an electronic paddle in your hands and, 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 you're, and you're playing, and I mean, it is almost just like real ping pong. But you know what? It's always going to be almost like real ping pong. If you want to play ping pong, go buy yourself a table and, and, and get in there and actually you know, feel that ball hit your paddle and, and, the, and the joy of that grand slam where you just you know, nail your opponent. I mean, if that's, you know, if you're an aggressive... Kind of, I'm 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 a very mild ping pong player myself. <laughs> so I'm thinking about the evolution of uh, of the uh, of the of the of the almost but not exact representation. Uh, when I was working through the passage this week. By the way, if you have your Bibles, open them to the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Uh, in the 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk about this, about this new covenant. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that uh, uh, if you went up to somebody and said, Hey, I just found this great video game. I would love to play it with you. And you pulled out Pong. They would look at you like you had a third eye. I mean, there's just something seriously wrong with you. Pong is, it's obsolete. Unless you're one of those really weird people that, that, that collect and, and, and have uh, uh, a whole collection of old video games. Believe it or not, some of those things are worth money. If you have an original Atari, oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, I, I digress. Uh, but... I'm thinking about that as, as we're, we're looking at this idea of a new covenant, a new testament. I mean, we, you know, we talk about this all the time. We have a Bible in the Bible. We have an Old Testament in the Bible. We have a New Testament. And there's this new covenant that we have. And of course, 
Covenant theology is brilliant. Uh, if you if you ever have an opportunity, I would encourage you to to do a, a search on you, computer programs allow you to do this. Uh, pull up the word covenant uh, wherever you find it in the Bible, uh, and then go and read uh, not just the verse, read the paragraph that talks about covenant. And and this this you know we 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 have a covenantal relationship with God, and. Uh, you know, theologians—they love to—they uh, love to see things where they're not. And, uh, uh, so we talk about the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve. And yeah, I mean, you know, He created them, put them in there, and said, "Knock yourself out. Just don't do that, and we'll be good." Of course, they did that, and we're no longer good. Uh, uh, but you, you, so you have that covenant that God made with Noah. You could you could go and you could see the covenant that God made with Abraham, uh, the the covenant that, uh, that 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 God made with David, and 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 of course we talk about the covenant that we have with Jesus Christ. So covenant theology is 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 all through uh, all through Scripture, and. Uh, uh, and, and we celebrate that we have this new covenant, the new covenant that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, which is a game changer. I mean, let's 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 admit it. It's a real game changer. And so last last couple of weeks and, uh, you know, Pastor John's given uh, given me a bad time. He says, I can't believe that you left me with the Melchizedek passage. Uh, uh, but he, he, did a, he did a great job. I, I think that Mel, Melchizedek is probably one of the most fascinating creatures, creatures, fascinating individuals uh, uh, in, uh, in the Bible. We actually learn more about Melchizedek in that seventh chapter that John took you through in the last couple of weeks than we do in the Old Testament. The only place he shows up in the Old Testament is on the battlefield with, uh, with Abraham after he rescues Lot. Uh, and, uh, and Melchizedek is described as, as, a, as the... Uh, uh, high priest of, of the Most High and the King of Righteousness, the King of Peace of Salem. And he shows up on the battlefield with bread and wine. Communion elements. Melchizedek shows up with communion elements. We're talking back with Abraham, back before there was anything. Uh, and in and, and, uh, and the last couple of weeks, Pastor John shows how Melchizedek continually points to Jesus and how Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, which, by the way, is the second place in the Old Testament, Psalm 110, where, where we read that the, that the Lord has, has selected his son to be uh, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And what a great high priest Melchizedek is, not, not you know, preceding the, the, the priesthood of Aaron. Uh, this is a this is an older uh, 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 covenant that that God has made, and so we pick up the narrative in this eighth chapter, uh, where the author says this. The point of what we are saying is this: we do have such a high priest, who is Jesus Christ, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary. The true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer gifts prescribed by the law. 
They serve in a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. Better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his or her neighbor or a person say to a sibling saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness. And remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Earlier on in the in the book of, of Hebrews, uh, the author uh, admonishes the readers that uh, that they're that they're still infantile in their faith, that they are drinking milk when they ought to be eating solid food, and the and the time that is spent in in remedial education is beginning to wear on people. It's like at, at some point. We need to move beyond the elementary uh, uh, principles of, of faith and do a deep dive. We need to, we, we, you know, it's nice to have a glass of milk there. But, I, oh. Have you ever been to Cecil's? Cecil's is a, is a, is a meat market and delicatessen up on Marine, Marina Drive. And, and, and they have a, a steak called a cattleman cut. It's a sirloin that is that thick. I kid you not. It is a. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you're a vegetarian. Please forgive me. I'm not. Um, and I'll tell you what. It is. It is the, one of the most delicious pieces of steak that you could ever possibly enjoy. And you have that steak on the grill, and you cook it to a perfect medium rare and and you add the sides and you oh you dig into that it's just such a delicious delicious meal there are some parts of scripture that are like that it's like a big juicy steak just plopped down in front of you or if you're a vegetarian a nice big portobello mushroom now, <laughs> you know what different strokes for different folks 
what we're about to do here, folks, is a deep dive as we unpack and talk about uh, this eighth chapter of Hebrews. This is, this is meat. This is, this is heavy-duty stuff. This is stuff that, you, uh, that I hope that you leave today thinking about over and over again, trying to process exactly what the author is talking about with regard to this new covenant. And, and I'm, I'm going to point some stuff out to you, hopefully that, yeah, I mean, of course you've heard it. You've actually heard it twice today. But understanding the impl- imp- implications of, of what is being said here is a game changer. We have to be very careful about what we read and how we understand it uh, because a lot of bad theology has emerged from this idea. Are you ready for this? Here's the first one that I'm going to throw at you. The idea that Christianity has superseded Judaism. A lot of people think that. You know, so the question is, well, if, if the new covenant is with the Christians, what happens to the Jews? I think when we start talking like that, we're, we're, missing, we're missing a big piece of this new covenant and what has been made obsolete. So let's take a closer look. The point, the point, the point that the author is making is that Jesus Christ is the game changer. That Jesus Christ is the high priest. Now remember that the author of Hebrews is speaking to, uh, uh, to, to Jews who have come to the point where they believe and trust that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. So we want to say they're, they're Jewish background. Believers, But even that language, I'm finding, doesn't really ac- accurately capture what's being said here. Take a, just take a step back here and, and think about it for a minute. That in the first century, and, and, when, and even today, when we talk about, when we talk about, uh, uh, when we talk about the Jews today, uh, and most of us do this, we're, we, you know, they're, they're, here in America, there are five different uh, uh, varieties, if you will, of, of Jews. You've, you've, you've got the, uh, the, con- the conservative Jews, you have the reformed Jews, you have the orthodox Jews, you have the atheistic Jews, which is a complete mind blower for me, uh, and you have uh, Jews that follow Jesus, five, five different uh, uh, brands of, of Judaism. How, how, how do we fit into all that? A question that we'll address before we're done today. But, the, the, you know, that's not new. The Judaism was fractured in the first century as well. I mean, I, the, the, I think that, uh, you know, we see it in Scripture. There were the, the Pharisaical Jews, the Pharisees. There were the Sadducees. There were the Zealots. Uh, there were the Essenes. There were the Essenes. And I, I find it hard to believe that there weren't probably some Jews in the first century that didn't believe in God at all. So you, you have those categories. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along, who, by the way, was Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. So he comes along and he, 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 he comes along and he, he presents 
uh, a clearer understanding of the law and what it means and, and, and the promises of the, of the Old Testament and to, to, to try to bring people back to that original understanding of who God is and how God wants to interact with our lives. They have this system, the system that was given to them through, uh, through Moses and through Aaron, uh, of the, of the, of the temple and that, and the temple in the, uh, in the, in the minds of the, of the Jews, the, the temple is a, is a place of intersection between heaven and earth. Think about that for a minute. That, that the temple was the, was the intersection between heaven and earth. And so when you were, when you were in the temple, when you went to offer your sacrifice, you were as, you were as close to being in heaven as you could possibly be. And the only person that was closer was the high priest. And the high priest was only closer one day a year when the high priest entered into that holy of holies to offer up the, the, the sacrifice, uh, for all sins for the year. Both sins of omission, sins of commission, sins that you, that you didn't even know that you committed. That's the big fear. What about the, I, I understand that I have to confess my sins, but what about the sins that I don't even know I'm confessing, that I, that I need to confess? That's where you have the one day out of the year, year of atonement, uh, the day of atonement, where all of your sins, the ones that you didn't even know you did, were taken care of by the high priest who entered into that that, that holy of holies, which was considered to be heaven on earth. Now we have a better understanding. Hopefully that gives me a better understanding. So I'm hoping that it gives you a better understanding of what the author is telling us, that Jesus is our high priest. He has not only gone into the holy of holies, he has made a way for us to follow him into it. We now have access we all have access into the Holy of Holies, which is the very presence of God. Think about that, people. You have access into the very presence of God through Jesus Christ, who is your high priest. That's what the author here is saying. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have uh, such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of, of, of majesty in heaven uh, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by human beings. This is the true tabernacle. In the very presence of God, not something that can be constructed by human hands. Every high priest, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it is necessary uh, for this one also to have something to offer. We understand the role of the high priest. The high priest offers sacrifices. But before the high priest could offer a sacrifice for you and me, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for themselves. If he were here on earth... He would not be a priest, for there are already men who offered the gifts prescribed by the law. See, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Not replace it, but to fulfill it. They serve in a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. And this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. And I'll tell you what, if you've read that, you read the Bible in a year, you're 
that now. Uh, 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 Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, I mean, that's some tough slogging to, to, to read the, the intricate details of how they had to put this temple together that is only a copy of something that is greater yet. Something that we now have access to through Jesus Christ. They serve in a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. But the ministry of Jesus that Jesus has received is superior to theirs, as is the covenant of which he is the mediator, is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. It's founded on better promises. And what are those promises? I go back to the promise that was given to Abraham. Yo, Abe, I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to make of you uh, uh, a people that are going to bless everybody else. Your offspring are going to be more than the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. And all the families, all the families, all the families on the earth are going to be blessed through you. I, I think that's a better promise. Than, than the one that was given through, through Moses and the Ten Commandments. You do your part. You be faithful and obedient. And I'll do my part. I'll bless you. The old covenant was dependent upon the ability of the people. And guess what? People fail. Every one of us. Every one of us has failed. There's a better promise out there. And the better promise is that through the seed of Abraham, everyone would be blessed. And I would suggest to you that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. It is a better promise because Jesus did it. He did what we could not do. He lived a perfect life. Full of the Holy Spirit. And did not sin. He fulfills that high priest office in a way no one ever could. He offers himself. <laughs> and then, and then there's the resurrection, which just validates everything. The priests in this day, they lived, they died, they got somebody else in there. They lived, they died, they got somebody else in there. And you know what you don't know about the priest? What you don't know. But that's true about you and me as well. You know what you don't know about me? You don't know. And I don't know about you. So you don't know who it is that's offering that sacrifice for you year after year after year. Because it is a failed, frail human being. Not Jesus. And he doesn't die. He's there forever. Interceding on our behalf. The perfect sacrifice given once for all. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. We're flawed human beings. Well, is that a design error on God's part? Or did God create us so much like himself that we took the extra step and said, you know what? Not only am I created in the image of God, but I can be God at least of my own life. And if you don't like it, tough. Because I don't want anybody telling me what I can and can't do. Hmm? Sound familiar? 
rings true in my life. I don't know about you. I mean, you, 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 you might have uh, already worked through all this stuff. God found fault. He found the fault that was, that was there, our own pride, our own arrogance, arrogance, our own hubris. The time is coming, declares the Lord. Listen to this very carefully, because these, these are words that came right out of Jeremiah that Alice read for us earlier. How are we doing on time? Oh, man. Um, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with all the Gentiles in the world. And it will not be like any other covenant that I made with those Jews when I took them by the hand and gave them everything when they got out of Egypt. They didn't remain faithful to me, so I turned away from them and decided I'm going to start something new with the Gentiles. Is that the way your Bible reads? It doesn't, does it? No. Don't let the lightning strike me. I, that wasn't what... Listen, listen very carefully to what is written in the book of Hebrews that is also written in the book of Jeremiah. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them. The old covenant depended upon the faithfulness of the people and the people failed. The people failed. If you're, if, you're, if you're trying to do it by your own strength and by your own might, you're going to fail every single time. Every single time. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a person teach a neighbor or a person their siblings saying, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the, from the least to the greatest, and I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Now think deeply about this, people. Because this really is a game changer. The new covenant was not made for the Gentiles. The new covenant was made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. You know the word that we see in the book of Hebrews more than in any other word in the New Testament? The word better. The word better. Now, there is good, there is better, there is best. I understand that. And somebody made the comment uh, uh, the other day that, that good is the enemy of the great. But as I thought about that, I remembered what Alex de Tocqueville said after he had toured America. And he said, America is great because America is good. And when America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. So I'm not sure if I understand this idea that the good is the enemy of the great. But what I do understand is that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was good. It was good. But now we have a better covenant and a, and, a, and, a, and a better covenant that is no longer written on tablets of stone, but written on our hearts. It is a covenant that God makes with humanity, with all of us. And we need to remember that in the first century, all the followers of Jesus were Jewish. The Gentiles came in later on because that was a better promise that was given to Abraham. And we come along and we muck things up. What do we do? We turn around and we institutionalized the church. 
And you've heard me say it before. I'll say it again. How many churches are there in Coronado? One church, somebody came and said, boy, pastor, that's pretty arrogant. I said, no, 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 what you don't understand is that the church is not defined by walls. There's only one church in Coronado. There's only one church in San Diego. There's only one church in the world. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And we don't go to church. We are the church. And what happened with the Old Testament, with the Old Covenant, they were given this moral framework. And by the way, it's good. Charles Murray, anybody you know who Charles Murray is? He wrote a book on, uh, on, on uh, the flourishing of, uh, uh, probably a relative, the, the flourishing of humanity and the, and the, and the things that, that humanity has accomplished. And you know what he has in there? There is, a, there is a chapter that is devoted just to the Jews because of the, uh, of the genius that has come out of the Jews is far superior in, in just numbers and quality than, than, than any other demographic in the world today. And, and they ask the question, how is that possible? And, and I say, well, they got a 1,500-year head start. And if you had a 1,500-year head start and you weren't further along than the people that were beside you, something is wrong. No, no, no. We understand. We need to understand that the old covenant is good and that when we operate morally, ethically, within that covenant, we are going to flourish because that is by God's design. But now we've been given a better covenant that is not based on institutionalism. It's based on the individual. This is not a law that's been written on stone and handed down to us. This is a law that is now written in our hearts. And it starts with the ones to whom he gave the original covenant, the good covenant with. And that is the Jews. And the idea is that as they begin to understand this, that the new covenant is better than the old covenant because the old covenant was dependent on human beings. The new covenant is dependent upon Jesus. Period. To create that right relationship with God. And then slowly the promise began to open up. And they recognized that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were available to the Gentiles and even the Samaritans. I mean, this was scandalous in the first century. This was absolutely scandalous for the Jews who had taken the covenant and turned it into an institution. And I dare say, have we done the same thing with the new covenant? We've turned it into an institution, and I think we do whenever today those of us who are recipients of this new covenant speak of, of, of Judaism or the church or Christianity in second or third person. As soon as you start to, to, to put yourself outside and point and say, well, that's the church and they're bad. The church hurt me, or the church did this, the church did that. We're missing it, folks, because we don't go to church. We are the church, and the church is a covenant that is written on your heart, and your heart, and in your mind, and in your mind, and hopefully in mine. It's very personal.
It is very personal. And, and I, I'm as guilty as the next person, folks. I mean, even when I made the announcements today, oh, when do we do the last, uh, and I'm thinking about the sermon, when do we do our last uh, uh, hard copy directory? Oh, back when the church celebrated its 125th year. No, the institution of Graham Memorial that exists on the corner of 10th and C has 125 years plus of history now, but the church. And, 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 and language is so important. The words that we use are so important. And if, and if, if I can, if, if you walk out of here today and never speak of the church in third or second person uh, uh, terms again, I, I will feel like I've made a, a huge move forward. Because institutions are always going to fail. Because they are made up of flawed individuals. And we draw our lines and we say, well, if you do this, you're in. If you do that, you're out. And we stand on issues when we should be walking with people. We stand on issues and we divide when we should be uniting. And how interesting, how interesting that Paul writes that in Jesus Christ, guess what, folks? There is no more Jew or Gentile. Those are false dichotomies. Both have inherent dignity. In, in Jesus Christ, there is no male or female. Guess what? Because both have essential dignity and equality. In, in, in Jesus Christ, there's no free or slave. The only slavery that exists in my life is the slavery that I allow to exist because I refuse to surrender. But that's my issue. What's yours? You know, we talk about this idea that Christianity is a, is a, is a relationship, not a religion. Yeah, but do you really understand what that means? It's a covenant. It's a binding agreement. Have any of you ever bought a house? Some of you have. I've never bought a house. That's, that's another story. But, when, but, but I, worked in the, I worked in the mortgage business for a while. I want to tell you what. When you buy a house, you enter into a legally binding uh, agreement. I mean, you sit down with real estate agents and attorneys and title insurance and, and you make sure that every T is crossed and every dot, dot is ided and so that the seller relinquishes and the owner uh, uh, receives and, uh, and, and that's going to follow you. And then, then you say, hey, me and the bank are homeowners <laughs> because now you got this huge mortgage. We understand that kind of thing. Do we understand that that's, you know, the word covenant has that idea of a binding agreement. Is Judaism been superseded by Christianity? God forbid. Jesus never told us to go out and make Christians. In fact, I love that, that scene, and I'm almost done. I know I'm five minutes over. Just, and this happens every time I go away. I come back, I have just so much to share. Uh, uh, when, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and, uh, you know, and they're going back and forth and then Jesus throws her a curve and she realizes that she's in front of something that is way more than she is. And she, she changes the subject. They call that in psychological terms, derailing the conversation, which is what she Sir, I perceive you to be a prophet. No kidding. Uh, and then she says, well, you know, there's a whole question about where we should worship. Do we worship on this mountain or do we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, lady, a time is coming and now is here. When it's not going to matter where you worship. Because worship is not location sensitive. 
God wants those to worship him in spirit and in truth. And oh, by the way, if I had the time, I would unpack the whole idea of us being a priesthood of believers and our bodies now being the temple. The place in where Christ dwells through the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Transforming us into the image of Jesus, which can only happen one life at a time. And it's never going to happen institutionally. And that's why the old covenant is obsolete. Judaism isn't obsolete. You might as well say that a relationship with God is obsolete. But there's a new invitation. That is, the, the, the moral framework, that, that we need to embrace that. The, the old covenant is good, but we have something better now. We have been forgiven for all of our sins. Jesus stand, sits as our mediator uh, in, the, in the heavenly places. But people, hear me and hear this clearly. Your participation in the covenant, in this binding agreement, is your responsibility. It's not the institution. It's not Christianity. It's you. You get the opportunity to, to say yes to God's yes to you. And he has said yes to you. He, he said yes to you before you were born. And he affirmed that yes through Jesus Christ. And then he invites you to get to know him. Not know about him, but to get to know him. And you get to know him through reading the Bible, through prayer, through engaging in those soul exercises that are in your bulletin. And as you grow and mature in your faith, then you become worthy of something that someone else might want to emulate because they start seeing Jesus in you. And that really should be the goal of every believer and every disciple that at some point someone looks at us and says, I see Jesus in you. That, my friends, is kingdom living. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way before, but the only people who can legitimately talk about the church in second or third person are non-believers. And we've given them a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, but remember and recognize this incredible gift that God has given to us. It is a game changer, folks. The old life is now obsolete. It's like a game of Pong. And and you know what? Computer games are always going to be a close second to the real thing. Just like institutional faith is always going to be a second thing in compared to genuine personal faith that is life-giving and transforming. So let us covenant together. Let us bind an agreement to no longer speak about the church in third person, second person uh, framework, recognizing that we don't go to church, we are the church. And as the church, we have opportunity to live into God's kingdom each and every day, and we do that by His grace and through His mercy. Amen? It's a meaty subject. And I'm sorry if I put on an extra scooping of potatoes alongside that big steak. But these are the times that we need to really understand and grapple with the deep truths of our faith. Having done that, let's go forward to continue thinking about these things as we bless each other with the blessing of Eric.